Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Women's Football Success. I'm your host, Lynn Marie Liberty Ellington, and today's episode is 1908. Really quick, a disclaimer. Again, my name is Lynn Marie Liberty Ellington and I am an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of Arkansas. However, I'm not your attorney. All the information that we provide on our digital and print materials is business information only and does not create an attorney-client relationship between us. If you have an issue that relates to your business, please seek out an attorney in your jurisdiction with experience in that type of law. With that being said, I want to get going with the topics for today. I wanted to share with you guys because we're getting down to the wire. We're getting ready to start March. so. We just have a week left before we need to be rocking and rolling. So I wanted to share with you what you guys should be doing and getting done this week. Uniforms should have been ordered already. So if you have not done that, you probably should get to doing that. Um, you also want to be preparing for any inner squad scrimmages or scrimmages against other teams. There are several teams um, in the WFA that have already done one or two scrimmages. Shout out to uh, Knoxville Lightning, I think they've done two already, maybe even three if you call the game with the Thunder a scrimmage. So they're they're hopping on it and uh, really getting ready for the 2019 season. Most teams are getting ready to get into pads here either this week or next week. So a lot of teams are kind of scrambling to get pads, helmets, cleats, pants, everything ordered and ready to go. As you know, teams have already begun fundraising and are continuing to do so. Um, you probably should have finished one or two fundraising opportunities by now. And you should be working on creating some sort of community-oriented ori event, like um, players and staff getting together um, for some sort of team-building party or event or exercise. Sometimes the players and the staff get tired uh, when every single event or every single party that you guys do is all about fundraising. So it's important to uh, put some different events in there and be creative so that people can take this time to learn about women's football and begin to be part of the team. I've shared a few fundraising opportunities on the WFA site, along with some other teams that are um, doing some really successful fundraising campaigns. So the information is out there. The owners with the WFA are providing advice and details to the teams that are interested in looking at different ways to be successful in women's football. So I hope everybody's doing good. If you are having issues or you are concerned about something, feel free to reach out to me or, or anybody else in the WFA for that matter and hopefully we can get it to the right person and help you or guide you um, to make sure that you can get things done and uh, have a successful season this year. This week I actually uh, dragged Coach Mike into the room so that he could share with you on coaching side because uh, I don't really deal with the coaching aspect of women's football. I leave that to him and his coaching staff. And so what happens is I tend to have less coaching content on the podcast. So I wanted to bring him in here today and ask him a few questions. Coach Mike is the head coach of the Dallas Elite, and he was also the head coach of the Lone Star Mustangs for the first two years or three years? Three years. Three years. 
Um, and then, of course, we handed off the team, um, and, and they went on with Lacey Downs and Twyla and Tamara. Yep. So real quick, I just wanted to bring him in here to ask some questions. Tell me what what it is that you look for in a coach when you're looking for volunteer coaches for the for your team. Well, you said the key word there, volunteer coaches. Uh, you know, there's uh, your your choices are limited a lot of times by people who are willing to um, sacrifice their time and and uh, come out there for free. A lot of these people drive to and from practice. I know a couple of my coaches are driving an hour and a half to two hours each way. Um, <laughs> that's not to go over our own driving of five and a half hours each way, but um, you know it is tough when you're uh, looking at volunteer coaches for that situation. Um, on top of that though, what we're looking for uh, when we go and look for coaches is students of the game. It's real easy to find people that know the game of football. Uh, if you go to, you know, some of these high school coaches and some of these things, you can go find some. They're going to expect to get paid. They're going to expect all of that. And on top of that, they tend to have a set system of what they want to do that doesn't always match up with what is happening in women's football. I personally would rather have a student of the game, somebody that I can take and help teach the game of football to, uh, to the extent that they then understand it and continue to, to love it and want to teach it to the players. Which leads me to my second part. I look for good teachers. The fact is, is that a lot of coaches can stand out there and yell at you and and uh, try to get you to listen to what they're doing. They can make you run, they can make you do push-ups, they can do all those things. But if they do not teach the game of football in the women's football game, it does not help anything at all. Most of these women are coming into us with little to no football knowledge uh, as far as playing. Although every once in a while you come across one that has 16, 17 years experience, or you come across a young lady who's been playing in high school for four or five years, you know, those types of things. So um, when you look at it, though, the majority of those women have no experience in football. So the coaches must be able to teach from the ground up exactly what's going to be needed in the game of football. So since you kind of touched on it, so what is the difference between coaching boys or, or youth or high school and coaching women in football? In my experience, the youth football, boys football, high school football, all those things were more along the lines of you tell them what to do, they just do it. They, at some age, they sometimes argue with you a little bit, but there was always this understanding that you just tell them what to do and they need to do it. They didn't really care why. The big difference in women's football that I found is that you have to be prepared as a coach to explain why. If you don't explain the why, um, you don't get the buy-in from the ladies. And 
if you aren't getting the buy-in, then, you know, it makes it really hard to keep your team moving in the same direction. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about practices. So when did you guys start doing practices for your team? So this particular season, we started in January, the first week in January. Uh, we have, in our past, we have started practices as early as October the year before. We have started in December. Um, this year, the reason we chose January uh, was a couple things. One, we wanted to make sure we had enough time to get all of the material in that we needed to get in uh, as far as teaching the game of football to a lot of new players on our team. But we didn't want to stretch it out before the holidays um, and have you know people doing football for nine months, ten months out of the year. It can be pretty exhausting when you're doing that. So we tried to minimize that to an extent. Last year, we had an experience where we didn't even start practices until the middle of February. And that was a very difficult situation. We didn't even get into pads until the second week in March. And then by the you know, end of March, first week in April, we were playing our first game. So that was a very difficult situation. So there's a fine line between you know, starting practice too early and starting practice a little too late. You gotta have the time to get all of your materials in. So how do you how do you create your practice structure? Do you just decide what date you're going to start on and then figure out which material you're going to put in or how do you do that? So both, you know, obviously I have an offensive and defensive coordinator. I'm very thankful for both of them being in their position. Um, both of them volunteers and both great individuals. Uh, my offensive coordinator, uh, Lacey Bulldog Downs, has, you know, coached with me before. Um, and knows what our plan is as far as installing a new offense. Uh, we are in the process right now of going through what we would consider a lesson plan on the offensive side of the ball. And that lesson plan uh, includes uh, you know, everything from the blocking schemes to the, you know, the running backs and, and everything that has to go into that, putting it into components that we make sure and add a little at a time so that they can learn the material well. On the defensive side of the ball, we have a very similar thing going on with Twyla Smith, who's my defensive coordinator. Again, she's coached with me in the past, and you know I, I really appreciate uh, her getting organized with the new defense that she's taking on. She had to go through a learning process as well, just as uh, Lacey Downs did uh, on the offensive side. So there was a certain amount of us learning before the season ever started. And then as we learned it, we need to make sure that we broke it down into components that the players could understand and we could install certain parts before we got into pads and then certain parts after we got into pads. So I didn't plan to ask this question, but because you brought it, <laughs> his eyes got real big. Uh, the question that I had was, so for a coach, that's getting ready, you know, getting ready to volunteer for women's football. You know, we're we're sitting here, February 26th, February 27th. How many hours 
has your coaching staff already put into women's football? Could you guess? A uh, good guess would probably be, I would guess, um, Bulldog and Twyla and I would probably average 20 to 25 hours a week on for, on strictly coaching. For, for the last how many weeks? Since November. Okay. I just wanted to be able to share with the people listening kind of a realistic expectation or, or well and it and it does come down to I love the game uh, Lacey Downs loves the game my defense coordinator Twyla loves the game we love that's okay we're driving to practice we love talking football and we could probably do it for hours and hours on end uh, so our number of hours involved in that could be a little bit exaggerated compared to what would be expected from normal coaches. Um, well, but those coaches should be passionate. You know, they're typically yeah. for forty-eight miles. <laughs> they're typically passionate about women's football too. So they I mean, are. even if you even if you put that into say fifteen to twenty hours per week since November to prepare to get ready for April yeah. um, is, is typical. So now if you take our, if you take our assistant coaches, you take, you know, um, the coaches that basically run drills during practice, mm -hmm. their time is limited mostly to their travel time. Plus their, uh, in practice time. Plus, um, you know, we do some conference calls and things like that, uh, that take up some time. So I would say that their time is more like eight to 10 hours a week since January. Okay. So speaking of conference calls, tell me, I mean, I, we don't want to get into the nitty gritty about how you do things technology wise, but what are there things that you use to be able to uh, share information? You talked about conference calls. What are some good tools that you use to help communicate with the players and the coaches? So there's, there's a couple different things we use. Um, there's all kinds of software components out there now that have some type of scheduling um, you can just google a couple team management softwares and, and uh, or websites and they're free you can get on there and you can um, set up all your practices all your all your stuff in there um, one thing that we do that's a little unique uh, for some is that since we you know my wife and I have to travel down quite a distance to get to practice um, we have gone and set up ways where we can communicate with our coaches and everything without having physical meetings there. Um, and with players, we can actually have a uh, online meeting with, you know, 40 to 50 people um, watching video, sharing my screen, uh, look, you know, doing chalk talk and things like that, that we can do all on, on the computer. It's it's very helpful because if we have a night where weather has canceled our practice, we can get on there and, you know, do a uh, quick, you know, meeting. It doesn't take long to put together, and we get a lot accomplished in them. Hey, you didn't you didn't have that kind of stuff even 10, 10 years ago. No, no. We we would print the playbook and bring the playbooks to practice, and we'd bring sections of the playbook to the players. Now, now with uh, the various playbook softwares and all that kind of stuff we can actually 
print them into a PDF file, send it to everybody. Uh, they can bring it up on their electronic device. Uh, we had uh, a player in practice the other day come up to me and say, Coach, I wanted to ask you a question. And she ran and got her phone, came up to me and, you know, opened up the PDF file, opened up the playbook right there on the, on the field, showed me her question. We were able to give her an answer and move forward. So, you know, using technology to your advantage is a, is a great uh, tool right now. And it's, and it's only getting better, I believe. Excellent. So when it comes to practices, do you have a certain structure that you feel is, is the best for women's football? Or what would you tell coaches as far as what you recommend well, you know, every coach has their own style of how they handle things, but I will tell you that, in my opinion, um, there are certain things that should never be left out of a practice. Um, you know, obviously, warm up and stretch is a normal thing for everybody. Cool down is extremely important. Uh, one of the things that I have always incorporated in my practices that I make sure um, is done all the time at this point is agilities. And you know, it's real easy to get, you get past your warmups, you have you know, a limited number of players or something like that at practice and you go straight into some drills or, or whatever and you, and you skip over the agilities, you skip over those things like that. And I really believe that those things strengthen the ankle, strengthen the knee, strengthen uh, you know, the ability to turn and move and, and do all the things we do in football to the extent that it can help prevent injuries. And my number one goal in women's football, besides winning football games, is getting the women to go home healthy after the games are over uh, without any injuries. You know, we're not, we know we're going to have bumps and bruises. We're going to hurt a little bit here and there. But I don't want a player to have to stay home for a month because she hurt her ankle or um, you know, broke her ankle or something like that. And, and you can attribute it back to not doing the proper things in practice. Let's talk a little bit about recruiting. You touched on one of the big things in women's football with regards to practices and having limited people at practice. I know from experience that it's always a struggle to get as many girls at practice because they have lives, they have kids, they have school. So tell me how many ladies does the typical team have well the the typical team can range all over the place as far as uh, how many girls they actually have on the team if you if you kind of take a look at the wfa uh, rosters when the season starts you'll probably see about an average of 30 players on each roster you're going to have some teams that'll have 50 you're going to have some teams that have you know 60 or whatever on them you're going to have other teams that have 15 and 20. Um, but somewhere in the middle, the median, I would say, is probably around that 30 mark. Um, the difficulty is, you know, in a place like, it kind of depends on where you're at, but, you know, for us in the DFW Metroplex, we have people traveling for quite a distance to get to practice. It's not unusual for other places either, <coughs> but uh, that has some limiting factor on how many people actually show up at practice. We're good if we've got 60% to 70% of our people showing up to practice on a regular basis. Um, 
you know, two out of three days a week we have, you know, they show up, basically, uh, then that's pretty good for our team. Um, if they're not there at least that amount, they can't get the material in in time to learn what they need to learn to be able to play football on game day. Well, and it, it would probably be very difficult to hold a practice if you have only 25 or 30 players yeah. and less than half show up to practice. Yeah, if you have if you have 25 to 30 players and you've got 60% showing up, uh, so 30, you know, 60% of 30 is 18, so you'd be looking at 18 players showing up there. You don't even have enough to have an offense versus a defense going on the, going on the field. You could do you can be creative and go half line versus half line and all those kind of things, but it just gets a little complex when the right players aren't there and, and those things are happening. So you really want to, during your recruiting process, you want to keep all that in mind. Um, to give you an example, we aimed at you know getting over 60 players leading into this season. Uh, we knew that we were going to lose some of them due to financial stuff. We knew that we were going to lose some of them due to um, travel and, and those work. kind of things, work, life. We knew we were going to lose a little bit of percentage on that. And then by the time you uh, get into full pads, um, if you've made everybody comfortable enough to be in full pads, then you keep a majority of them. But there's always going to be a good 10% of your players drop off uh, the first time they hit because they just don't, they realize it's just not for them or, or, uh, some to that effect. So, you you know, I would say that you have to aim on your recruiting at about 30% higher than you actually want to have on game day. So is there is there a max or minimum um, in the WFA for recruiting as far as Division One? Well, Divi it's, that's a tricky question. You can have Division One, your unlimited roster. Um, on game day and playoffs and all that, on uh, your division two and division three, there's limits to the roster. But, and I'm I'm not going to pretend to know them right off the top of my head because I haven't had to deal with those. I've never been a division two or three team. Um, but I will tell you that uh, those rosters are not necessarily how many people they recruited. That's just what they ended up with on game day. I see. I see. Um, so they may have to, they may, if their li roster limit is 45, which I think it is in D2, uh, they may have 60 players on the team, 15 of which still practice with the team, do everything else, but don't suit up on game day for whatever reason. Gotcha. Um, don't show up on the roster. Or they may start the season with 60 players and end up with the 45 that they need going into the last game. So, um, Regardless of how what your roster limit is, your recruiting is still really important to get a good percentage over the top of your your uh, desired number of players. Some coaches don't want to have 50 players on their team. Yeah. Some teams don't want to have 50 players. They they look at the financial side of it. And they realize that if I'm going to take a bus and I've got 50 players and I've got eight coaches or 10 coaches on this team, I can't get on a 55 passenger bus and go somewhere. Um, as a whole team. So, you know, there's some of that that, that comes into play. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to count on, if you want to have 30 players at a minimum, and that's where your number is, that's what you want to have, then 
you got to aim at 30% over that, so add another nine players to that, basically. Um, you want to be sitting at 40 before you get into your uh, season, your actual practices and everything else. Gotcha. So real quick, when, when is, the, is there a cutoff for recruiting players? Hmm. There should be. Um, as far as uh, a player in the WFA has to have played in a minimum of four games with that team or at least been on the sidelines with that team for four games to be eligible to play in the playoffs. Okay. 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 So technically, you know, and I'll say this, that technically that's the number you have to reach. You got to, you got to get those four games. So you look at your calendar of your regular season and you make sure that anybody you're going to recruit is recruited before that, that one game. Now on the other side of that, is it safe to put a player on the field when they come in? They're in pads for two weeks when you've had everybody else practicing since January. Um, I'm going to leave that to your discretion. So I, I had to do it at one point. I didn't like it very much. Um, I felt like I was putting people in a very difficult position. Um, but they handled it very well, and, and they're still here with us. So. Well, and the reason I ask that question is a lot of teams are actually going towards having a practice squad. So after they reach a certain point in the season, they've recruited all the players for that season, but they're still getting people interested in women's football. They set up a practice squad. What do you, what do you think about that idea? Um, the practice squad is, is interesting to me. So in women's football, most of the players are paying to play most you might find a team here and there that doesn't have to pay to play or you might have some that gets sponsored or whatever um i have a hard time telling somebody they're going to be on a practice squad um they still have to pay to be there at practice they still have to pay to you know get you know equipment and all that kind of stuff but they're just going to be on the practice squad um, there's ways you could do it, I'm sure. If you know, if it was one of those deals where they're on the practice squad this year with the opportunity to play next year, that's not such a bad idea. Um, you might find some people that you know are out of shape or yeah, really might, want to do it, but they they feel they need a little longer to get prepared. And it doesn't hurt to have people to stand in on on different things at you know for drills and that kind of stuff, and they learn a little bit mentally as well. So. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt that bad. I basically talked myself into, you know, the practice squad isn't that bad. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I'm just not a big proponent of it just because I don't want to have girls not getting the opportunity to play when they put in the work. Mm -hmm. So how, just real quick, a question. So how do you feel? We, you started in women's football over 10 years ago, right? 10 yes. years ago. And it's now 2019. How do you feel the teams have progressed when it comes to coaching and quality of play? And do you feel that it's getting diff more difficult? That's a tough question. I think some teams have progressed uh, very well. I think you see those teams um, year in and year out in the championship games. Moving up the ranks. Yeah. Um, you know, Boston has been a well-coached team. 
DC has always been well coached. Um, Minnesota, you know, Minnesota, uh, you know, sharp team, New York's, uh, you know, the New York sharks. I think they're the New York Timberwolves now. Is that right? Yeah. New York wolves, New York wolves. Um, you know, some of those teams that have just, you know, central Florida anarchy, um, those teams have always just been well coached and, uh, you see them constantly being up there at the top. Um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement for most of the other teams. Um, our team included. You know, we're you know we're coming off a five and three season. We've got we've got our work cut out for us uh, going into this next year, um, and we're going to put it in. We're going to do everything we can to to make our team better. But uh, I think overall, coaching wise, I think. The top is looking better. Uh, we just need to bring everybody else up with us. Yeah. And what do you what do you feel, or do you have any opinion on what would make the football better? Is it foundation? You know, building a foundation, teaching the fundamentals. Yeah, I I firmly believe in teaching the fundamentals. Uh, I think if we teach women football players how to learn the game how to be students of the game like what I'm looking for in my coaches notice notice that both of my coordinators are female my assistant head coach is a female they all played for me at one point or another um, said Twilight never got a chance to play for me she um, she just coached coach for me for you. Yeah. Um, but when they were playing for me and coaching with me they were the ones that stood out as ones that wanted to learn the game of football. And if you can focus your attention on those individuals and, you know, cultivate that and, and, you know, help that desire grow with more players, I think you're going to make the game of football and women's football a lot better. So tell me one last question. Do you feel that your philosophy about women's football has changed through the years? Hmm. I'll tell you, it changed since year one. Um, the first year, I remember we we started practice in September of 2008, I believe it was. I don't know. The years run together yeah, for me. <laughs> it was September. It was September 2008 that we started practice. Um, we were a brand new team. We had maybe 15 players from a from a team that had dissolved there in the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, and my approach to it at that point was like it was with the boys um, when they came in for their initial football practices. My intention was to show them how hard football was, and, and uh, you know, put them through the most difficult things right off the bat and only the strongest would survive. Uh, when I first started coaching women, I didn't worry about so much about teaching them the game as much as I worried about just uh, getting out and doing the drills, getting out and doing those things. As my first year progressed, there was a, there was a situation my wife decided, <clears throat> Lynn decided to come out to practice one day and uh, I went and ran her through one of my practices and she couldn't walk for a week. And she said, if this is what you're doing to your girls, she said, we're gonna lose every single one of them. 
and I realized that, you know, these girls all have lives, they all have jobs. Yes, I want to be difficult on them, but maybe I should ramp it up a little bit differently. Um, so I approached that differently. And then the other part that uh, we had discussions about back then was... <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> we had discussions about... Yeah. Uh, was that I would tell her to do something and she would be like, why do I need to do that? That didn't make any sense. And, you know, that right there was the mentality that a lot of the other women were bringing to the field. They just didn't say anything. So I got to where every practice, I started asking them, do you understand what I'm asking you to do? Do you understand why I'm asking you to do this? Um, if we were going to do a new drill, I took 30 seconds and told them, this is why we do this drill. Uh, in Chalk Talk now, I will show them, you know, this is why we do this drill is because these things happen on the field. And so, you know, as far as that all goes, since year one, my philosophy has definitely changed. Uh, I think year two, when we went and won the national championship, I think my philosophy right now is almost exactly the same as it was that year. Uh, adapt the game that we're playing to the players and the talent that we have on the field and make them the best team we can possibly make them. So what do you think about women's football? I love it. <laughs> I love women's football. It's it's a it's a difficult Some thing. Some people get chocolate for Valentine's. I get a women's football. Yeah, team. she gets a women's football team. Um, it's it's a difficult thing for uh, you know all the travel and all that stuff. But I'll tell you, when I'm sitting here watching, you know, messages pop up for my players and all that kind of stuff, excited about you know having the first night in pads and all that kind of stuff, like we are tonight. Uh, you know, seeing all those things happening, seeing the excitement on first game day and, and all those things, it makes me just really happy. And, you know, my wife showed me. <laughs> this popped up about five minutes ago. <laughs> my wife showed me a message here that says, thank you for everything you do. And it's coming from one of our players. And that just, you know, that's where we're at. We love the game of football. Well, thank you for being a part of the show today. I'm, I'll probably have you come out a couple more times because I, I tend to not put a lot of content out for coaches just because I don't know that area and I don't really um, delve into that area much. Sometimes the girls call me coach and I tell them, you're in trouble if I'm your coach. <laughs> but I heard they, him call you Coach Lynn last yeah. week. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Which direction we go in? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you guys have a great week. Feel free to reach out on Women's Football Success. You can reach out directly to libertyellington at gmail.com or any of our emails or call us on our phone. Talk to you guys later. Have a good day. Bye.